This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome to Journey of Unity number 19. For those of you who were not here last week, um, I just wanted to say that the schedule in terms of classes is that we are going to finish up this Journey of Unity around Pesach time, according to the you know calculation of classes left. And then after Pesach, we're going to switch to a weekly class based on living life through the lens of like the weekly Parsha, really based on like the Medrash, and that's going to be the switch. So everybody's going to be able to join weekly, and then we'll diversify the topics, but that is what's happening with Hashem after Pesach. So this is Journey of, of Unity number 19. Our WhatsApp group is tinyurl.com forward slash Rabbi Epstein, and there's two books. One is on dating, one is on family purity, which are available on Amazon. The complete guidebook to dating for marriage and the complete guidebook to family purity are available on Amazon for those of you who did not um, yet buy it. Whatever. Just saying if you want it for a friend or whatever. Okay? So that's out there. Now, tonight's class, tonight's Pasuk is the Pasuk of Kamu Vanava Vayashrua Baila Vayahalala. Kamu Vanava Vayashrua, which means that her children stand up Vayashrua and they praise her. Bala, her husband, Seemingly does the same thing. He, either he stands up or he acknowledges via halala, and he also praises her. And we're going to see in the next sukkim exactly what they say. Rabbi Zbunah says a chayil. We're going to get into that. That's going to be the ending of Aisha's chayil. But this pasuk is the concept of people standing up and giving praise. So what? let's just go slow over here. I want to build up maybe three concepts that I think are just really important in terms of relationships. So, her family stands up. You notice that they stand up on their own. She didn't tell them to stand up. On their own, after her putting in all the work that she put in, literally from the beginning, all the elements of marriage that she you know, instilled in her family, being on top of all their physical needs, emotional needs, the needs of the house, the needs of the help of the house, literally from all the things that this woman needed to do, all of a sudden, like spontaneously, her family just jumps up and starts singing her praises. She didn't say a word. Out of nowhere, all of a sudden, they jump up and they just start praising her. And I think the word kamu, the concept of standing up, is because classically children, we don't do it so much today, but children would stand up for their parents out of a sign of respect. So it's not just that they're like, then you deserve her. They're like, like, enthusiastically jumping up out of real respect that they feel. She didn't tell them to do this. They, on their own, feel a certain amount of respect for their mother and they start singing her praises. And the Mitzudasiyan says, his iris ma. It's, it's coming from like an affinity towards something. There's an emotion behind what they're doing. Why are they doing this? Because of everything that she did. Every all the work that she put in now starts to pay, I don't want to call it dividends because she didn't do it for this reason, but she's starting to see that when she put in, all of a sudden it's actually coming back. The work is coming back to reward her, if you want, if you will. Like her nachas is standing up. She's not telling them to do anything, just automatically happening. And as I was like processing through this idea, it struck me that when it comes to marriage, I think most people would agree that they enter marriage somewhat selfishly in the sense that when you date, I don't think it's totally selfish, but most people have a list of things that they want. 
the guy has to be this, this, and this. The girl has to be that, that, and that. Everyone has their list of things that they want from the other person. Very few people go into a marriage thinking, you know what I would love to do? Find the person and just give to them altruistically whatever they want. Nobody does that. You go into it thinking, what am I getting out of this relationship? And then usually like around the Yichud room is when like you realize like, oh, <laughs> I have to be selfless in order to actually get something out of this relationship where this is absolutely not going to work. It doesn't take more than five seconds to realize that your whole model of looking out for yourself doesn't last very long. You actually have to look out for the other person. And only when you do that, that's when it starts to actually pay dividends. And hopefully two people do that. So therefore, everybody's getting their needs met. So here you have a person who did that, meaning she's the quintessential person, right? This is Shlomo Melech, Shlomo Melech's mother talking and explaining to him that the quintessential spouse is a person who truly enters a relationship altruistically and puts in and puts in and puts in. And you want to know what happens, Mamela, what just automatically by default happens. If you do your job right, you'll know you did your job right. But what's the opposite of that? The opposite of that is that if you don't do your job right, then you have to start fighting to get the praise that you so desperately want. And that is a very sad reality. It's the reality of somebody saying, but wasn't I successful? But wasn't I a good wife? Am I not a good husband? Why is nobody praising me? I thought I did a good job. But the people around you are not feeling that. You're like, but come on. Hello? Like, doesn't anybody appreciate all that I do? Somehow nobody does. But you expect that, that outcome. You're like, why is nobody giving it to me? Because it's just not necessarily deserved. I once had a woman that I was talking to who I was really dealing with the children. And this woman was extremely intrusive into her children's life. Very intrusive. And at one point, she didn't like that they were resistant to her intrusions, to say that in a nice way. So she she called me up and she was very upset that her kids were not I'll call it dancing to her tune. They weren't doing exactly what she wanted her kids to do. So at one point, I said, do you not see that your actions are driving your children further from you? So she said, well, let me tell you something. My kids have a chiv of kibbut of aim. And for kibbut of aim, like, what are they going to do? They have to, deal, they have to deal with me. They have no choice. So I was like, hold my bear. I was like, <laughs> I don't have a chiv of kibbut of aim. So uh, let me be the first one to tell you. And we had a very heart-to-heart -heart conversation that she did not like at all. And I think at the end of the conversation, she recognized the fact that she was almost like forcing her children to give her respect, forcing her, cho her children to capitulate to her needs, to her intrusive demands and all the things that she wanted from them. And then she was wondering why she wasn't feeling the love from them. And the reciprocation of all that she, quote unquote, gave them on her terms and her way. And I think once we took the shield of Kibbutz of Aim out of the way, it became very clear to her why this relationship wasn't working the way she thought it was supposed to work. When we enter a relationship with our, our way, it has to be my way. And then we wonder, why is it that I'm not getting back the feeling that I'm doing a good job? I don't know. I don't know, but perhaps, perhaps somebody doesn't think you're doing the job that we could be doing. 
And therefore, what struck me is that in most scenarios, and maybe that's overgeneralizing, maybe it's some scenarios. In some scenarios, if you want to get something back, take a full-length mirror, look into that mirror, and just talk to yourself. And if you really focus on that person who you're seeing in the mirror, usually you'll find the culprit for why you're not getting what it is out of your relationship. I once had a meeting with a person who who took his spouse, his wife, to come see me. And he had a list of complaints. The wife sat there for four meetings without saying one word. Never saw something like this before. Literally just sat there, arms folded, didn't say one word for four meetings. And this guy would go on and on. No, he doesn't feel this, and he doesn't feel that, and he doesn't know why this, he doesn't know anything. Go on and on. And then the fifth meeting, the concept of respect came up. And this guy was getting frustrated already because it was already the fifth meeting. His wife didn't, she didn't even say her name. She didn't say one word through the whole meeting. And then he, he turned to me and we started talking about the concept of respect. And he's like, yeah, like respect. I don't get respect. I don't feel respected. And he starts giving a thousand reasons why he doesn't feel respect. And his wife, who sat through probably at this point, like close to like six to seven hours of meetings without saying a word, she like raised her hand like she was in kindergarten. Like she raised her hand. She's like, I said, yeah, you can talk, you know, it's, it's, it's the open room. Of course, you can say something. She said, he wants to know why he doesn't feel respect. Well, that's because he's not respectable. And he's like, what? And she's like, let me tell you why not. And then she started to talk. And it was very clear that he was not very respectable from a lot of the things she was describing. And he was like, what does respectable have anything to do with getting respect? Well, it, it sort of does. It sort of does. And there's a correlation. And again, some people just don't have respect in their bones. True. But there's a very strong correlation, oftentimes, between the feedback that a person's getting, the nachas that they're getting from their children, the openness that they're getting from the people around them, to how you, like the work that you put in. The Ashes Chayel put in all this work, and now it comes back to greet her with respect. They're standing up. They're being expressive. The people she loves and she invested in, they're showing her, yes, you did a great job. They praise her. Probably one of the most fundamental emotional needs of a person is to feel worthwhile, feel respected, to feel like they're accomplishing something, to feel sipok, to feel like they're actually successful in a certain area. For a woman, it's to have the expressiveness of being nimtzachein ve'eni bala, that she's, she, she finds favor in the eyes of her husband. I always say that the most, the most important thing a husband could say to his wife is, I couldn't wait to see you, can't wait to come home to you, can't wait to talk to you. Literally what she's experiencing is an outcome of the work that she put in. Hands down. And if a person is wondering, why am I not feeling something in marriage? So the default for many people is you need help. Oftentimes the answer is I need to take a hard look in the mirror and ask myself, what can I do differently? Let me accept responsibility. Accept responsibility for my role in this relationship. I've oftentimes said that when I sit with couples, I tell them the first session, you can talk about each other. And then after the first session, now you start talking about yourself. And I think that it's a mature person who's able to really take responsibility for their role in their relationship. 
Where do I fit in? What did I do that was positive? What did I do that was negative? My spouse is telling me throughout the day, whether it's through words or through emotions or through connection or disconnection, through all the various ways that people communicate with you, they are telling you a lot about you. If people are avoiding you, they're telling you that. They're not, they're not in a mean way, just in a, in a reality way. It is difficult to be around you. How many people that you know that you're like, it's difficult to be around this person? They're heavy, they're critical, they're negative. Those people, those people are everywhere. And it's the people around them who, by simply avoiding them, are telling them messages. And if they're smart, they listen to those messages. They go, oh my gosh, maybe, maybe it's me. You know, I hear people all the time, they complain, they go, oh, I had an issue with this friend and this sister and this cousin and that. I mean, they have an issue with like 50 people. And it's like, what is the common denominator with all of the people that are not talking to you? You are the common denominator. And I'm not blaming anybody for the situation that they're in. Sometimes people are surrounded by very negative people. But I think that the positive side of this is that you reap what you sow. And a person who puts in the effort into their marriage will get that reward. They will get that nachas. They will get that respect. They will get that connection. But on the flip side, a person who doesn't feel that, ask yourself, where do I take real responsibility for my life, for my marriage, for what I'm supposed to be putting in? And I think that that's the first idea. What you put in, usually the results will follow. And if you just look at the other person, what they need to put in, because we're so accepting of ourselves, but not so accepting of the other person, then the results are usually going to just play itself out. And that is the first idea. The second concept is, I think, probably the, the you know, thing that women usually master earlier than men. I think it's very, very simple for women, maybe. For men, it's very not so simple. It's the concept that struck me that this Pasuk refers to it twice. There's two forms here. We won't get into the difference. One's a higher level. The husband is a higher level of, of praise. There's a lot of praise going on over here. There's a lot of expressiveness that's going on over here. This woman did a really, really good job. And well, what happens when you are surrounded by somebody who does a good job? I think the Pazak is so Pasha telling you, you have to express it. You have to express appreciation for the person. You have to focus on the person and realize that what you feel in your heart is step number one. Step number one is you have to feel it. It has to be real. Step number two is it has to be expressed. I think a lot of people pay, either pay lip service, but they don't really feel it. Or a lot of people, I would say majority of people, they actually do feel it. They feel deep down real appreciation for their spouse. They know it. It's in their heart of hearts, buried away. But their spouse doesn't know it. Their spouse doesn't feel it on a daily basis. And here it's like almost bringing a full circle. It's like if somebody puts in the work around you, this is not necessarily a message to the Aisha's Chayel as much as all the family members of the Aisha's Chayel. If your wife, if your mother, if your husband, if they do all this for you, don't you feel that you should stand up and praise them? Don't you recognize that it's such an, a, a fundamental need of a person to feel praised? That's the Pasuk here. And it also struck me that who's the one who's doing this? Where is like her sipuk coming from? Where's his sipuk coming from? Where is his, his fulfillment coming from? His family. A lot of people get that from outside of the family. They get it from their work, or they get it from their friends. 
Here, it's literally telling you that if you want a person to feel successful in their life, they must receive expressive, expressiveness from the people around them who actually care for them. And I think that it's a loop. The more they feel that appreciation, the more that they want to give to that. The more they give to that, the more the person feels it. The more the person feels it, the more person expresses it. And around and around and around we go in this beautiful merry-go-round called marriage. Whereas the person doesn't feel it, they don't feel like a success at home. They oftentimes will find that success outside of the home, in other places where they have people expressing to them that they do a good job. The less time they'll put into their house, less than into their house, the more people will not feel an affinity towards them, the less expressiveness they're going to get. So it's a it's a circular, it's a circular benefit. The more expression there is, the more the person actually feels that they get something. And I, I think that if you want to summarize, you know, a big fundamental, I'll call it disparity between counseling and therapy, and there are many, but I think that this is one that is, you know, very important is that in the world of therapy, much of therapy or maybe most of therapy is based on what you take out of something. It means if somebody's a drug addict, you take out the drugs, they're doing pretty good. If somebody's an alcoholic, take out the alcohol, doing pretty good. Somebody has depression, anxiety, anger, all these things. They go for to therapy, they work through it, you remove the bad, and now the person is officially healthy. I, I was told from somebody never to say the word cured, because in the world of mental health, it's a bad word. I won't say the word cured, but they are recovery, what, whatever the word is, remission, what? Recovered, okay, whatever the word is, they are that, okay? So that's that's in the world of mental health, and that is true. When it comes to your family, whether it's your spouse or your children, it is not about what you take out. It's not that you remove the fighting and now you have a good marriage. If you remove the fighting, you still have no marriage unless you put into the marriage. And I think the key here is, is very simple, is that it's the degree to which you put in is the degree that you will that you will take out. If you think it's just about not doing something, meaning we didn't fight today, very nice, you didn't fight today. It doesn't mean that you have a good marriage. It could be you have absolutely no marriage. You're living upstairs and, and, and he's living downstairs. That's not a marriage. That's a... I don't know what that is. That, that, that's not even a roommate because not even in the same room. You know what I'm saying? That's like a, a tenant. I, I don't know what it, a housemate, right? Like that's not a good relationship, right? I think we could agree a good relationship is two people that become one unit. And if it's not one unit, if there's not expressiveness of I am feeling that we're one unit, if all these feelings are not being expressed and they're not being put in, then it's not actually there. And I, I think if you want to take this idea to the next level, and just to make this super practical, is I think that when most people um, relate to marriage ideas, they relate to it in a very general sense. I don't want to mention any books over here, um, because I'm coming out with a marriage book, so that's the only one you should read. But the people who do read marriage books, okay, I think that the marriage books oftentimes are so general in in how they present information and if you if you say to me like what is the nakuda that really you know a person should focus on i think it's the fact that every single person is unique in their needs wants or desires and therefore cash air connecting to the person means that you're you're studying the person you're getting the person you're understanding the person i think this works with hashem but let's just talk on our level on our level, when a person connects to somebody else, they understand that you need this and you need this and you need this. We're three different people. You know, I always say, I don't drink alcohol because of a Maestro Shahaya. 
I can't drink alcohol anymore. Okay. The perm story that went really south. Okay. And the amount of people who brought me alcohol as gifts, it's very nice of them, but you know, it doesn't do anything for me. It, I, it's like a poison. I cannot drink it. I can't even smell it. It doesn't do a thing for me. Now, if they don't know me, they think they give me $300 bottle. Beautiful. Very nice. The gesture is beautiful. But the only one who benefits from that is a brother-in-law of mine who really likes drinking. And he comes to my house with a carton every few weeks. He picks up all my alcohol and he brings it home because I, I don't benefit from it. Now, if you knew me, you would not bring me alcohol. Or maybe you'd bring me Bartonura, which is like, that's my fan favorite. That's what I would, that's what I could drink. If you don't know a person, you think you're giving them, you're not giving them something. It doesn't work for them. Kasher means a connection to a person. A connection means that I get you. I understand you. There's a panemius to each person which has to be studied. And when it comes to expressiveness, I think it's no different. A person has to spend the time to know what specifically their spouse wants. You know, I'll give you an example. I talk about the idea of, 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 of spending time, spend quality time, you know, with your spouse and give them attention. Well, you can give them attention, generic, or you can specifically pay attention to specific things that they said or specific things that they want. And I guarantee you, if you, if you do this to a man, he might not hop. If a man does this to you, you'll hop that he listened to a share. Okay? Imagine if your husband said to you, you know, remember three weeks ago you were mentioning this in this story? Um, I was thinking about it and you had such a good idea there. And I think that, right? And he just picked up the conversation from three weeks ago. You would probably think, because you don't think he's listening Bishas Misa, like when you're actually having the conversation, for him to repeat it two weeks later or three weeks later, oh, like you mentioned about this new store. So I stopped in here, you know, a month ago, you mentioned this. I stopped in there and I got you your favorite thing from the store. You'd be like, whoa, who are you? Like, what is going on here? Because the person is not giving you attention. They are specifically paying attention to the words that you're saying, to your needs, to your, to your thoughts. You're just throwing it out there. They're plucking it out of the ear and they're internalizing it. That's real love. That's real love. That's somebody who's so tuned into you. You know, the Rambam talks about love like Avas Hashem, the idea of focusing on, on specifics in nature, in the, the world that Hashem created. And then the Rambam talks about how it fills you with a certain feeling, and that feeling is, is Ava, and then it also fills you with Ema and Yira. The Rambam goes through all the different levels that a person feels when you specifically focus on a specific part of another person. That relationship exists in your house with all the people around you. And if you generically, quote unquote, give them, then you probably will not really be focused on the specifics of what they need. But if, for example, you focus on this person mentioned this, and therefore that idea that they had, I'm picking up that idea. Or the person mentioned something that they would want, therefore I focus on that specific thing. And I think when it comes to expressiveness, how many times did your did your spouse say to you, don't say never if it's never, but it, it, somebody who got a compliment in their life, you, how many times did your husband say to you, oh, you're amazing or you're so great or you're awesome? They said like, these very general terms and it's nice. Okay, fine. Thank you. You know, okay. Right. Versus saying to you something that's so specific to you. Like, by the way, like I saw that time you were patient and it really like, and they start like talking about a, a scenario or a meter that you have. That's a different level. That's where they're so tuned into you. It's like, whoa, you're talking to me. You can't take this card and just sell it in Hallmark. It doesn't work for everybody. It works for me. That's a very unique connection, a very specific connection. I remember many years ago, I saw, I saw a guy who had a 
very outgoing personality. And I didn't know him very well. And this outgoing personality to me was an anomaly. Um, I always say like, I'm the kind of person, if I'm at like a Shabbaton or something, I'm not the guy that's jumping off and screaming, you know, quiet and not banging on the table to get everybody's attention. It's, it's much the opposite of, of who I am, contrary to whatever. I really, it's a long story. I'm an introvert. I got married to an introvert, whatever. It's a long story, okay? But the bottom line is, is that that's the reality. And I noticed this guy was the guy that whenever something happened, this guy was, he was not just an extrovert. He was always that guy that was like drawing attention and drawing attention. So I said to my wife, after we were married, um, I said, I want to get to know this guy a little bit better. He's a guy I see around. I want to get to know him a little better. So we, I went over to him and I, I invited myself for a Friday night meal. I said, you know, you guys have any guests? Yeah, hey, we have guests all the time. I said, great. Can we join you? Said, yeah, sure. Come on down. So he came to his house and we came in. We're sitting. This guy was loud. He had a personality. And we were living in Eric's Hall. And in the middle of the meal, there was a whole commotion going on outside this guy's apartment. So we were like on the third or fourth floor. And we opened the window. And we looked outside. And there was a bunch of Shababnikim, which are basically kids who are at risk who were walking down the street and they were screaming and they were yelling and they were throwing things and they were kicking over garbage cans. They were making like a whole ruckus. So this guy goes, oh, guys, wait here. I'm like, where is this guy going? He went downstairs and we're all watching from the window and he walks outside. These guys were already like past the apartment building and he goes, hey, Shabra. And they look, they turn around and he's like, come here. And he's screaming to them in Hebrew. And he brought them all up to the apartment, about 10 guys, skinheads, like head shaved, everything. And he sat them around the table with his wife's permission. He took her challenge. He just started giving out challenge. He gave out beer. He started singing Israeli songs. The place was rocking for like two hours. And I was like, here you have a guy who, when you see him, you're like, uh, you know, <laughs> his personality, not exactly like mine. He rubs me the wrong way. I would never do that. We have all of our judgmental things that we have. But then when you get to know somebody and you spend some time with somebody and you start to focus like on all the things that this person has, their specific midos, where is there something here that's good? And it doesn't have to benefit me in a selfish way, but just understand that the person that you're facing has so many elements to them that are unique to them. This guy is a rock star in the world of Kirov today, as you could ex expect, because he's just so natural at being able to walk into a room and and draw the attention of 200 people, no problem. He's just he's just great at it, right? He's great. He was an American. He learned Hebrew like this. He's just amazing at being able to command a room, whereas other people just can't do it if their life depended on it. If you focus on a person's specific pieces of them, it starts to develop an affinity towards that person. And if you express something towards that person in a specific way, I noticed this about you. This specific need about you, I noticed it. It shows the person that you're not just giving them attention, but you're actually paying attention. Which brings me to the third piece of this pasa. Okay, so kamu vayashua, baila vayahala. So it struck me that the word for the children, kamu vayashua, it struck me the word, it's almost like the, the word vayakamasa mishkan, like the mishkan was, was put up. It means the Mishkan didn't stand up. The Mishkan was put up. And in fact, the Ebenezer and the Malbim, they talk about the fact that it's not necessarily the children that are standing up for their mother. Rather, it's because of the mother, 
Kamu, I'll, I'll read you the Lashon, Kamu Babaikar Banaha, her children get up in the morning. Why? Because Ki La Yichba because the mother put in all of her efforts there for her kids, for example, go off to Yeshiva. Because the wife put in her efforts, that's why the husband goes to his shear, goes to his minion, goes to his work. Because of the work that they did. Because she was not lazy, therefore, what is it telling us? It's telling us that the specific work that she put in is now apparent on the success of her family members. The family member's success is directly attributed to her. And I'll just throw this out there. We just did spoke about this last week. We just did a Living L'chaim, uh interview, which if you didn't see, I would encourage you to see it. It's not on or anytime. Don't tell them. It's on a different platform. But if you Google it, I'm sure you'll find it. If you don't have Google, um, ask a friend. So on that interview, there was a specific clip that people had mixed feelings of. And of course, I think some people are wrong because they disagreed with me. But I, I want to just like speak this through a little bit. So the clip that people with disagreeing was the concept of spending time with your children as a priority over your spouse. And what I was saying was that children, I don't want to say that they're distractions, but if you view marriage as, I'll call it Shemaneshrei, it's a way of connecting, really developing a connection. So if your phone rings during Shemaneshrei, then it's a distraction. Now, if you're in Hatzalah and your radio rings, the middle of you know of Shemineshrei, that's also a distraction. It doesn't mean a distraction is a bad thing. Sometimes you have to do what you have to do. But if we talk about the concept of connecting, as, as the Svarim say, to connect two people's brains, emotions, life, that you're living one unit, so then all the things that come along which pull you apart, those things are distracting from your goal of understanding that your wife, your spouse is there to help you fulfill your purpose and your mission in life. So they are, not in a bad way, but they are a distraction from that goal. And I think that couples that have time to focus on each other, they build. And the couples that don't have time, they don't unfortunately build because they just don't put in that time to each other. And that, that was what I was saying. And many people disagree with that. And they said, no, that's not true. Children come first and forget about your spouse, <laughs> whatever. People had different different things that they were saying, which again, they're wrong. They're wrong. I'll just say that. But but I think what, what struck me was that I think that so many people, if you got up in the morning, most people's brains, what, what you're thinking of is the success of your children. I would argue that most people here, they know, you know, your children, their, their fifth grade Rebbe, their second grade Mora, their first grade, you know that, right? Because they give you orientation and the Rebbe gets up and he says, this year, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do it like this. And your kid's going to have a blue knapsack and a green folder and 17 different papers coming home every night and he needs signatures on this, this, and this. That's what they do, right? And you invest the time into the welfare and the success of your children. To the point where, where mothers are learning math and they're learning Navi and they, right and they're going through the whole education system again and again and again because that's what we need to do for our children. But how often is it that a person spends that amount of time to invest in the success, the daily success? I don't mean in a global way. 
the daily success of their spouses. You know which clients your husband met. You know what your wife did today, who her friends are, who her boss is, where she works. How many people invested not in an intrusive way, but in a way that you're actually sharing your life and your spouse's, the success of their life, the success of their daily living. How many people know the nuances of that the same way they know the nuances of their children? Most people know their children's friends. I don't know how many people know their spouse's coworkers. Or, or the environment that they that their spouse works in. And I think that there's a huge disparity between the investment that people put into their children because in, innately children need you to do that. And your spouse, for most people, what most people's focus, I hope this comes out right, is either to keep their spouse from fetching, that's one goal that people have, or that their spouse will just give them Okay, like she's still making supper. He's still bringing in money. We're good. I got what I need out of this relationship. Okay, we're good. There's less of an investment in how did your day go? I'm here to support you. Truly believe in you. Want to understand you. How many people come home and they say to their friends, oh, Shlaimi came in today. Oh, Shlaimi is the one whose mother does shaitos. Oh, yeah. Oh, sends his mother. Right? You know every nuance of every nuance. And it comes to your spouse so many people, there's just this big gap in their knowledge base of what their spouse is going through on a day-to-day basis. I don't know if this is true, but I just recently saw that there was a poll that was done of thousands of couples. And they, they asked them, how much time does your spouse give you on a daily basis that you consider true quality time? I'm not talking about time where like you happen to be in the same time zone. I'm talking about real quality time. The average, and again, I don't know if this is a true study. This is not coming from like, you know, the American Marriage Association, okay? I don't know if there's such a thing, but it's not coming from there, okay? The average was four minutes a day. The average person felt that their spouse gives them four minutes a day, and that's an average. That means that 50% or greater is less than that. That is so sad. That is so sad. Now, I think most people say, that, that's nothing, that's no shaitas to me. We're from Yidin, that's not true, can't be me, that's for the Gayim, right? I'm saying, right? Yeah, I'm just saying, right? <laughs> but the reality is that, is that it's, it's not, we have so many distractions. We have our shiurim, we have our friends, we have our, our, our communities, we have all the things we need to do. And I'm not saying they're distractions in a bad way, but I'm saying if you look at marriage as an investment into your family, that your family comes out and goes, wow, you believed in me, you accepted me, I am a product of what you put in. I always say, Rabbi Akiva, that when Rabbi Akiva came back, he said the words, Shali v'shalachem, shalahi. He wasn't just simply saying, shkayach, shkayach. He was saying, I was nothing. And she saw potential in me, Rachel, Ishes Rabbi Akiva. She believed in me. And therefore, she spent as much time as she can to encourage me and to build me up. And therefore, Shali, every single thing that I have, which I didn't even know that I had, I didn't know my own abilities, that was how I related to each one of you, my Talmidim, to be like, make him Talmidim, like to build up Talmidim. That all came from what my wife taught me. That's, that's what you do with a person. You focus on their every single day. How often do you find somebody where the spouse is involved in, in whatever it could be? It could be chinuch, it could be rabbanus, it could be kiruv, it could be business. 
whatever it is their spouse is involved in and the other person, their investment is that I didn't nag you, is that I found either Torah anytime in a good sense or TikTok in a bad sense. And that, that was my investment that I didn't bother you. So I allowed you to live your own life. We just said living your own life is, is not a marriage. Living upstairs and downstairs is not a marriage. Where's the investment of who's your professor this semester? What time do you need to get up tomorrow? How can I help you? What can I pack you? The investment in living your life with another person is marriage. Living your life alongside or separately than another person is not marriage. I've mentioned here before, and I'll, I'll end with the story. I mentioned here before that I like asking people that I consider successful for tips. Like, how did you get to where you got to? And I have on my phone a whole list, probably about 50 or 60 things that people have shared with me. And there's a guy that I asked this question to. And he said, I said, how did you, you know, get to where you got to in life? And he smiled and he said, I'll tell you my story. His story was that he got married and he struggled with severe anxiety and depression to the point where he told me for years, he, years, not days, not weeks, for years, he was in bed, not functioning, just watching movies all day, literally just sitting there on a loop, just watching movies, watching movies, which you can imagine doesn't do much for a person's self-esteem in a general sense. So he was in this loop of just anxiety, depression, anxiety, depression, anxiety, depression, until his wife, who liked him, loved him, I don't know what the word is, you know, she supported him in the sense that she didn't nag him, she didn't bother him, which you can argue what her approach should have been, but this was her approach. She would come, what can I get for you? I never if I feel so bad for you. And I don't know the exact nuances of the marriage. I don't know. But at some point, she broke through that outer shell and convinced him that it would be worthwhile to start investing in himself. And then he started one thing and it failed and another thing and it failed until he finally became a little successful. And then his wife, oh, wow, such a good idea. You got this. I believe in you. And he said it was his wife's belief in him, acceptance of where he was, non-judgmental attitude, real respect. I mean, you want to take like all these ideas. She created a masterclass over a number of years to get this man to the pinnacles of success. And not just because he's financially successful. Guy learns the Tamachacham in all areas of life. He's a successful man. Anybody who would see him would be like, wow, this is a successful person. That, in a certain sense, is Rachel Ishes Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was poor. <laughs> Rabbi Akiva had, you know, didn't know anything that Amara Tzigmar talks about. Believing in your spouse, cracking through that outer shell and getting the person. Again, it's a different schmooze. We've talked, we've talked about the idea of teaching and channeling. I think the idea that I hope people take out of this is that marriages are not built with grand visions and 30,000 feet, you know, visions of how you're going to make something happen. Marriage is built on a daily basis of truly living with another person in your mind and asking yourself, like, what does this person need from me? What can I support from this person? What do they have going on? Who are their friends? How do they spend their day? What are their stresses? What words do they need to hear from me that will help them de-stress? What are those words? What are the areas of encouragement that they need? Is it a good time for me to say these words or am I being intrusive? Is, is it time to just be accepting now or is it time to maybe say something? How should I say it? 
What are the words I should say? I think if you want to sum up this class, and maybe this is the title, is that marriages are very, very specific. They're very specific. They're not general. I think people think of general ideas. Marriage is shalom, marriage is ava, and achva, and reyes, and all these words are true. They sing these songs, they say these brachas, they're all true. But the reality is that in order to really build a marriage, you have to focus on the specifics of your spouse. What are their specific needs? What are the specific expressions that they need? What are the specific areas that you need to focus on for your spouse? And if you do it right, it's not a lot of work. If you don't have to fight for any of your needs to be met, they'll just be met. Your spouse will naturally say to you, by the way, you're amazing. In his own words, in the way that you need to hear it, without just simply saying that. And if you're not hearing that, if you're not getting that, if you're not feeling that, then ask yourself where you fit into the, into the puzzle. Maybe you need help navigating that. That's fine. Where do I fit into this specific puzzle? And if you, if you are able to do that, then come with Benavai Yeshua. Your children will sing your praises. Husband will sing your praises. Your wife will sing your praises. It will be a natural expression. And I think that what people fail to oftentimes realize is that it's not a forced relationship. You can't force somebody to love somebody. You can't force somebody to, to, I'll call it, to express something. It's something that has to be real and genuine. And when it, when it is real and genuine, then it naturally flows. Not very hard. You don't have to put in all this work. If you put in the work that you focus on yourself, what you need to put in, usually you'll, you'll start to see the change that you so desperately crave. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.